0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13 this morning, and as you're returning to that, uh, let me just say that I am aware that, uh, that I forgot to call the ushers forward for the uh, morning offering. Just for a minute there, you're thinking, is this a Baptist church? They're not going to take an offering? Uh, we will take an offering. We'll just wait till the end. I forgot to call uh, the ushers down, so Ronnie, if you will, just be prepared at the end uh, when I do announcements at the end, be prepared also to, to give. The reason we, we give out of our offering is, is it's commanded, but also there's a practical side of that. That we've been given so much, and we've been brought into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, and we've been called to be his church and to take the, the message of the gospel to our community and, and really to the ends of the world. Well, to do that, that takes money, and uh, I, we don't want to shy away from that. And, and we give every week to support that. And, and uh, some of you give very faithfully, very regularly. Uh, some of you don't. Yeah, my wife's coming in. So you'll, you couldn't hear any of that out there, could you? That's what I was talking about. So, okay. We, she was coming in and she was saying, the offering, the offering. Don't forget the offering. So, see, she's Baptist. So, um, we give. We give because there's a practical side to things. God has given us so much, and now he's entrusted this work to us. And this work takes finances. It takes resources. The lights don't just come on magically. You know, the, the electricity that it takes to run the sound system doesn't just happen automatically. The, uh, the supplies to do children's ministry, they don't just come pouring in, except for candy this week from CBS they were getting ready uh, rid of, but uh, so at the end of the service we'll, uh, we'll take the offering and be prepared to give generously as God has given to you as well. Well let's look at this text together, Mark chapter 13, Mark 13, and uh, we'll look at verses 1 through 13 together. We've been walking through Mark for uh, over a year and a half now and uh, verse by verse going through this and we've seen Jesus ...largely deal with two groups. He has dealt with his disciples in showing them who he is, preparing them so that he can leave his mission to them. And then he's dealt with another group, that group being the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, members of the Sanhedrin, those religious of the day. And Jesus has dealt with them, answered their questions... Particularly in the last several sermons together, they have bombarded him with certain questions, trying to trip him up, and he has silenced them all. And he has shown them that he is not just another man, but he is God himself. And the only proper response to uh, him, who is both fully man and fully God, come to redeem the world to himself, is that we would give him everything. We can't earn it, it is a free gift. But out of a result of getting that free gift, the gift of being forgiven and brought near to God, we then respond by just offering him everything that we are. Well, today in this text, we're going to see him make a rather drastic turn. In chapter 13, he, this is the last real time he'll talk to his disciples pointedly before he goes to the cross. We're about to enter into what's what's termed the passion of the Christ. We see in him going to the cross, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the love of God displayed for humanity. But prior to that, he has this conversation with his disciples and he wants them to be ready for his coming again after he leaves through the ascension. So let's look at this together. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse one. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. We see in this Jesus here pronouncing judgment. We see the disciples wondering when this will happen. We see Jesus giving them some instruction. He doesn't tell them exactly when, but he goes beyond just their wonderings about the temple to his second coming and gives them some real advice that we also need today. First point I want to show you this morning is not if, but when. Not if. But when Jesus walks out of the temple here and pronounces judgment on it, it's symbolic here. It's pointed that he it specifically tells us that he came out of the temple. He has just really put all of the religious leaders of the day in their place. And he's just elevated the gift of this widow who gave the equivalent, the equivalent of two pennies. And he has praised her and denounced them, and he's walking away. And it's in this walking away that one of the disciples, we don't know exactly which one, probably sees in the face of Jesus a countenance that is sad, saddened over the fact that he is walking away from the temple pronouncing judgment on it. He's not just pronouncing judgment on the temple, but on the whole religious system of Judaism. He's walking away from this grand building, and it saddens him. You remember? Jesus was the one who wept, who said, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't listen. And so probably one of the disciples looks at Jesus as he's walking away from Jerusalem, walking away from, from the temple, and he sees in the face of Jesus this sadness. And doing what all of us would do, he tries to, Deal with the awkwardness. He tries to distract Jesus, tries to maybe encourage him or lift his spirits. And he just does what all of us would do. He just changes the subject. He just asks a question. He says, "Uh, Jesus, look at the buildings. Look at how beautiful these buildings are. Look at these great stones, Jesus. And Jesus goes from there and he says, not one will be left upon the other. I tell you this morning, it is not if, but when. The temple was a wonderful building. It was at that time one of the wonders of the world, especially from their view. They had walked out and walked across. They were going up the mountain, the Mount of Olives, and they could see back in the distance this temple in all of its glory and grandeur. You know that some of the stones of the building of the temple were the size, almost the size of boxcars? That... Almost everything in the temple was overlaid with gold and with silver. What wasn't overlaid with gold or silver was pure white, was painted pure white. In fact, it was so big and so bright that they said from the distance when you would be walking in and you could see it, that it looked like a snow-capped mountain itself. They they talked about Josephus wrote about that when the sun would rise, when the sun would come up or when the sun was setting in a particular way, it would so reflect off of the gold and the silver that overlaid this building that you would have to shield your eyes from it. So it's that that this disciple is looking at when he says, look at these buildings, look at how beautiful they are, Jesus, Jesus in walking away from it. He is pronouncing judgment. He walks away because he understands that it is nothing more than a building. It is nothing more than a building. It is a building that represents a religious system that is empty and devoid of God. I couldn't help but, as I studied this, I couldn't help but be faced with how we must also guard against valuing our buildings, our personal appearances. Whatever else comes along with how we do church, if you will, we must guard against valuing those things over and above being true spirit filled living temples of God. Jesus walks away from it here and he pronounces judgment. He prophesies not just he's not just pronouncing judgment by walking away, but also by prophesying the destruction he says to them, these stones, these stones that are enormous, the size of boxcars. They didn't know what boxcars are, but you do. These stones, not one of them will be left upon the other. Jesus pronounces, he prophesies this destruction. This is another proof of the fact that he is God. You say, did this ever happen? Was the temple ever destroyed? Absolutely. In 70 A.D., about 40 years after Jesus was Crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, in 70 AD, this temple was destroyed in just such a fashion. Forty years beforehand, Jesus tells them what would happen, and it happened. It's proof to us, coming out of last week's text, that he is not simply just a man, but he is also God himself. It is said that they, when they destroyed the temple, that they pulled the stones apart One by one so that nothing was left on top of another. It's another reason why we can trust Jesus. We can trust his word because he's not just a man. He is God himself. It's not if, but when. Jesus here prophesies the temple will be destroyed and it was destroyed. He also later tells us that he will come again. And I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, he will come again. This is not like Cubs fans waiting. Will they ever win it? We don't know. They may win it this year. We don't know. But We know for certain that Jesus will come again. Amen? It's not if, but it is when. Well, the disciples also turned and they asked this question. The only question that made sense. How will we know? Jesus, when as he sat on the mountain of olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, can you imagine that Jesus has dropped this bomb and then he walks across and he lets them sit in silence and he lets them look at this temple for a while. And I wonder how long they sat there looking at this wonder of the world and hearing the words of Jesus echo ring in their ears before they said. Jesus, how long? What's going to be the sign of this thing, Jesus? Tell us. The key to understanding this passage is here in this verse. While Jesus does not tell them exactly when, he wants them to be ready. And I believe also that in this passage, in this chapter even, that Jesus is speaking to us as well. Christians who are now living 2,000 years after the fact, he wants us to be ready as well. Some would say, oh, it's been so long. Why don't you give up hope? You Christians are foolish to think that he's coming back. He would have come by now, don't you think? I think probably those believers in the Old Testament probably thought the same thing at times. Oh, the Messiah promised he would come. God promised to send the Messiah. He hasn't come. There will be no Messiah. But there, was, there were those that held on to the promise and looked forward in faith to the Messiah. And that's why we celebrate Christmas every year. Is that the Messiah did come. And I can promise you this, that regardless of what the world says, Jesus will come again. He gives us two, two things that I want to close on today, finish with today. Uh, I, I use the I use that uh, phrase there that I want to close with loosely because it's not anywhere near time. It'll be a little bit longer from here, but uh, it's kind of, you know, not if, but when. Right. Um, but two things, two things that, that he finishes out this text with in verses five through eight. He warns them, don't be deceived. He wants them to be ready. He wants them to be watching and on guard. But he says to them and he says to us, don't be deceived. Look at what he says. When it comes to eschatology, Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. When it comes to eschatology or end times, when the end is coming, when Jesus is coming back, you know there's a lot of confusion out there, right? There's a lot of different opinions out there. And there are a lot that use the Bible to support their opinion that contradicts another brother or sister's opinion of when that will happen. I've heard even this passage today used to teach what Jesus was teaching the opposite. They use this to say exactly the opposite of what Jesus here is trying to say. People look at the news. They watch CNN or Fox or whatever the case may be. Or they they read the news on the Internet or wherever it may be. And they look at it and they see wars. They see crime and violence. All sorts of wickedness. They see natural disasters and economic uncertainty, and they say, well, the end must be near. See, Jesus said that when it's coming close to the time that there will be wars and rumors of wars and there will be earthquakes and that sort of thing. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus here is saying, don't be deceived by these things. Don't be alarmed by these things. He says repeatedly, these things have to be, but the end is not yet. Instead, Jesus is warning us not to be deceived by these things. These are not signs of the end. They are only labor pains of creation longing to give birth to restoration after the fall. It should remind us of the value of Christ's sacrifice. When we see these things, earthquakes and natural disasters and war going on all all around us, economic uncertainty, cruelty of all kinds, we should be reminded of why Jesus came. He came to set this thing right. It also should cause us to long for the coming restoration. It's been a long time ago now since uh, my son is 12. He'll be a teenager this year. And uh, so, you know, some of you have kids older, some of you have kids younger. But I remember, remember anybody remember the pregnancy? Clay and Melissa, remember the pregnancy? Going through it right now. Um, you know, you, you wait all this time. You wait. And and you go through all of this. And I'm telling you, it was really hard on me, you know. Sorry. It was really hard on my wife. And we waited and we waited. And we, you wait all these nine months. And one night, we're laying in bed. And my wife rolls over and she nudges me and she said, I think it's time. Well, I, I had been geared up for this. I had the plan already. We had the bags that we would grab on the way out the door. They were ready to go. We had everything ready. We had our plan. Well, I so freaked out. And immediately I said, okay, I'll meet you in the van, Grabbed the bags, went to the car, threw them in, jumped in, started the van, reached up and hit the garage door opener Put it in reverse and backed out, but I didn't let the garage door get all the way up. Labor pains. My my wife is in labor pains. We're about to have this baby that we've been waiting for, and I don't know when it's going to happen. It might happen immediately, and I felt just very very stupid backing through the garage door. In the same way, when you look around and and you see earthquakes and natural disasters and economic uncertainty and wars and crime of all kinds, it should should remind us that it's simply the pains of creation longing to give birth to restoration. And sometimes we get so excited and we, we feel it all the more because we're going through it. But Jesus said, these things must be, the end's not here yet. Don't be deceived. He specifically gives us three false alarms. He tells us of false teachers. There will be false teachers and that many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. We don't have to look very hard to find false teachers. We've seen them throughout history, and I'll give you just a few from the last several decades. You remember Jim Jones? If you remember David Koresh? Remember, even right now, Harold Camping, it's been in the news lately predicting the end and the, the president, CEO of family radio, family talk radio and and predicting the end. And when the end didn't happen on his date, he backed up and chose another date. There will be false teachers that will come. We don't have to look very far to find them. We don't have to look at a certain point in history or a time period. They've always been with us. They will lead many astray, he says. Don't be deceived by false teachers. He says, don't be deceived by social unrest. Don't don't look around when you see wars and hear about rumors of war. Don't be alarmed. This must take place, he said, do you know that. I read this week that 95% of every nation that has ever, ever existed in human history, 95% have been engaged in war. 95% of every nation ever. Out of all of history, from the beginning of recorded history till now, only less than 300 years have been peaceful times. There's been war somewhere on the planet, all of the rest. I did a little research. The the death toll from wars, World War I, 65 million people were killed as a result of World War I. Not necessarily in combat, but as a result of the war. World War II, 72 million. The Korean War, 3.5 million. Vietnam, over 6 million people were killed worldwide as a result of that war. See, it's easier that. For us, when we're going through that, to think, well, the end must be near. Look at what's happening. How could God be on his throne and allow this to happen? But the reality is this has been happening ever since Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. There's been warring within the humanities from that day on. And it's part of this fallen world. And we may experience more of the fallen world from time to time, but it is part of it. And Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't look at these times and say, now it must be closer. He gives us a third. He says, natural disasters. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Has it felt like at least in the last 10 years or so that there have been more of this Kind of thing, these natural disasters. I mean, it, it. I remember. I don't remember this as much as a kid growing up. It just feels like, ever since about nine eleven, and nine eleven, it wasn't a natural disaster. But ever since about that time, there's just been this series of things that have just happened over and over again. But some of you could look at me and say, No, I remember back, and I remember this, and I remember that. We happen to be going through recently uh, earthquakes in Haiti and Katrina in New Orleans and all these sort of things. But the reality is this is all part of a fallen world. It's all headed toward God restoring it. Jesus has paid the price for sin. He in his great mercy, he is waiting for those who will come to know him. He is redeeming a people for himself. But there will come a a time in this world history where he will come again and this creation will be restored to its original purpose. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. He tells us this, and this is where I want to spend the bulk of my time this morning. The last thing he says is be on your guard. It's not if, but when it will happen. We all want to know when, what are the signs Jesus says to them, don't be deceived by these things. These are just part of the natural order of a sinful, fallen world. But then he says, here's what you really need to look for. Be on your guard. Don't be deceived by upsetting events or, or, or even people. Even the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Don't look to those things. Look to these Be on the lookout for Christ's return. Jesus wants them to know that appearances can be deceiving, but God is still controlling history. Number one, persecution in the end, when it is close, persecution will intensify. Persecution will intensify. He says to them, and they had to take this harshly. They didn't want to hear this. They may not have heard it fully. Persecution will intensify, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. You understand what was about to happen? They had walked with Jesus and up to this point, it had been relatively easy. I mean, they had walked with this rock star. He had come onto the scene and all of a sudden he was instantly popular with the people they, they were his disciples and they, they walked with him and they watched him take a boy's lunch. And feed multitudes with. it. They watched him speak to a crippled man and see him get up from his, his crippled condition and walk, even run and leap. They had, they had seen him call, call Lazarus out of the tomb after being dead for four days. Up to this point, it's been fairly easy. In fact, at times it's been fairly comical because the the establishment that the people feared, the religious establishment, the Sanhedrin, they had come to put Jesus in his place. And they had watched as Jesus had answered all of their questions, put them in their place, and silenced them all. See, up to this point it's been fairly easy, but Jesus wants them to know that in just a matter of days, I will be arrested. I will be beaten, I will be spit upon, you will flee, I will be nailed to a cross, I will die, but I will rise again. And he wants them to know that after he rises from the dead, that he will go back to be with the Father, but he won't go without leaving the Holy Spirit for them. And he's leaving the Holy Spirit with them so that they would continue the mission that he Has secured. And in doing so. They would be persecuted. He wants them to know. That while he was popular with the people. He was hated. By many. And if they hated me. They will hate you all the more. Persecution will intensify. You will be beaten. You will watch me be beaten. Guess what? And for following me. You will be beaten as well. You realize that. America is one of the only places on the planet where we can openly claim to be followers of Christ and not not face persecution. There are places in the world today where if you convert to Christianity, you are turning your back on everything that you have ever known. And everyone that you have ever known will turn their back on you. It may cost you your freedom. It may cost you your life. Jesus here tells them persecution will intensify. And I can tell you, persecution is intensifying worldwide. There are people that are martyred regularly, killed for the gospel regularly. Not only will persecution intensify, proclamation, though, must increase proclamation must increase and we must remain faithful even in the midst of persecution growing. He says in verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. I want to tell you as your pastor, we must not let up. There may come a time when persecution returns to America. But even if it doesn't we must not let up in taking the gospel to where persecution currently exists. Watch this video. Let's, let's bring this video up, Billy. Really. We cannot let up. Population of the world clicked over to 7 billion people just in the last couple of weeks. 7 billion people. There are places in the world that are dangerous. There are places in the world that are dangerous for Christians to go. But how? How could we justify remaining in the comfort of our own buildings? And the security of America when Jesus didn't remain in the comfort and security of heaven. It's not enough. I'm telling you as your pastor, it's not enough to pray. It is not enough to give. It is not enough to study. Those are all great things. We should continue to do those things. But it is not enough simply to pray, to give and to study. Not when God has told us and shown us to go. We as a church must also go. We cannot pack up and simply wait for the return of Christ. We can't simply just pack it in and say, you know, we're pretty comfortable here. Let's put on all sorts of. Jargon on T-shirts and. Put verses on coffee cups and call that our cross to bear. We'll carry a Christian coffee mug into work and people will laugh and snicker at us because we're a religious fanatic. and We're being persecuted for the gospel. That's not persecution. We cannot simply pack up and wait. We must be ready and go, go until he comes. Jesus says here, Don't be deceived by all this stuff that comes with a fallen world around you. Don't be deceived by it. Instead, be on your guard. Be watchful. Be ready. Persecution will intensify as you serve this mission, but serve this mission all the more intently. We must. Aren't you glad that someone shared the gospel with you? Those of you that are in this room that know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, what if you'd not been born where you were born? What if you hadn't grown up where you grew up in the family that you grew up in and some of you grew up in hard situations? I get that. But What if you had been born in a place where there is little or no access to the gospel? You know that there is this God and you have this urge, this craving within you to worship that God, but you don't know how because you don't know his name. Jesus, who didn't stay in heaven when we needed him, came to us. How could we stay here when they need him now? And the good news is, and this is your Thanksgiving message for the week right here. Persecution will intensify. Proclamation must increase. But the elect will persevere. The elect will persevere. Verses 11 through 13, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit and brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And those those things are happening in the world. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what's what's the good news there? I feel defeated. I don't know that I can hang on. I'm not sure that I will endure to the end. The more Bible I read and the longer that I follow Christ, the more confident I am that when we get to the end of our lives. All the sacrifices that we have made. All the suffering that we have endured for the sake of Christ in efforts to remain faithful and hold on to our faith in Christ. We will at that point realize that it was never us who were holding on to him. It was him that was holding us the entire time. He will see us through. That should be Reason to cause your heart to rejoice. You should go into family gatherings this week. And when no one wants to say the prayer. Because everyone is sort of uncomfortable. Praying in front of the family. And in public and out loud. And that sort of thing. You should be one that is boldly. Confident. Enthusiastic about saying. I am so thankful this year. That I know beyond any shadow of a doubt. That it's not if. But it's when. And I don't have to worry about. Falling away. I don't have to worry about falling to the side because it's not me who keeps me in. It wasn't me who got me into the grace of God in the beginning. It is not me that will keep me there. This year, I am thankful that it is him. It is his grace from beginning to end. Jesus is coming again. Those of us who have been saved, we will see him in the end. There are those who are deceived. Notice, I don't want to belabor it, I know I'm out of time, but there will come false teachers. And notice what he says, they will deceive many. That doesn't just happen in Jim Jones circles and Harold Camping circles. That happens in Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches where the Bible is being preached. And it doesn't happen because there's always a false teacher standing up and and proclaiming falsehood. But it happens somewhere along the way when we stop believing the word of God to be the word of God and we convince ourselves that the gospel is something else. He will come again. I ask you this morning: Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight we, this morning, God, I, I pray, God, that you would speak to hearts in spite of me. God, that you would take the message that's been outlined here. It didn't come from me. It came from your word. God, I pray that you would take your word and God, that you would apply your word to the hearts and lives of people here. God, that for those who are here that know you are Lord and Savior of their lives, God, I pray that they would not be deceived. But God, that they would understand that their life, this world, it will all come to an end when you deem it to be. Until that time, God, I pray that we would not let up, that we would not pack it in, that we would not get comfortable. But, God, that we as a church, as believers, that we would, God, depend on you and go with the gospel wherever you would have us to go. God, there are those that are in this room today, God, that that don't know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would Lord, wake them up to you. God, that you would breathe new life into them. God, that you would Lord, draw them to turn from their sins and trust you as Lord and Savior. And God, that they would be gloriously converted today. They would be saved. That their sins would be forgiven. They'd be adopted into your family once and for all today. God, whatever it is, Lord, that you want to do, God, we beg you, God, do it in mercy and grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.